like Brother Chris, it was many years ago that I had the privilege of coming here. I think the first time I came, I still owned a hairbrush and a blow dryer, and I needed them. <laughs> Neither of which do I own today. <laughs> but I did greatly enjoy coming then, since then, and this evening. It's still a sweet privilege to be here at Bethel Church. Uh, what a wonderful and sweet legacy of truth you all have here a legacy of truth and a legacy of love for God's saints, including me. And uh, I'm most thankful and appreciative of it. It is a sweet privilege and a extra sweet privilege to share the pulpit with my dear friend, uh, who I'm so thankful to uh, hold him close and dear in the gospel uh, and as my dear friend in life. Uh, Elder Chris Krause, and your pastor, uh, who I was a boy preacher the first time I ever met him. And uh, I don't know of any man that's living among the old Baptists today who has made more of an impact on me for good, I trust, as a minister of the gospel than uh, Elder Ron Lawrence. And it's very touching always to be in service with him. We owe him a great debt of love. And for you all, speaking of debts, and then I'll read this passage, time is pressing on. Uh, I would be remiss if I did not thank you greatly for your prayers on my behalf this past year. Uh, they have made me feel very small, and I am very thankful for you remembering me in my infirmity, in my physical weakness, and I'm thankful uh, that God heard and honored your prayers and the prayers of God's people and uh, we recovered from the plague that has impacted so many in our nation and we're able to be up and about serving our Lord which is all I want to do as long as I live that's it and when I can't do that I trust that he'll take me home and let me serve him in heaven I want to read to you tonight uh, from the 18th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew Matthew chapter 18, Brother Ronald asked me in advance if I had a uh, title for the message of the uh, sermon this evening, and the passage that I had on my mind was this passage. I was afraid to give him, and I'm so thankful he didn't announce in advance so folks didn't exit the building as we <laughs> shared, but we want to speak tonight, God willing, uh, for just a few moments on the subject of patience, patience. Um, you know, I guess probably over the past over the past 12 to 16 months or so, I've seen more impatience in the United States of America than I have my whole life put together, all the other years put together. And it has simply broken my heart. It just it makes me very, very sad. I grieve over it and I mourn over it as I see the um, incredible impatience. Uh, it's something that we all wrestle with. I don't care who you are. Um, there are ways that we can all be touched and uh, become impatient. Um, we, have, we have so much to give to so many people. There is such a beauty. There is such a beauty about the church of the Lord Jesus. It's the most beautiful thing on the face of the earth. It is incredibly beautiful. But, you know, folks come to be with us and they find a... 
they find a brusque spirit, a haughty spirit, an impatient spirit. Nothing turns things as ugly as quickly as impatience. People being impatient with one another. Jesus talks about patience uh, in a parable that he gives us, beginning in verse 21 of Matthew 18. Patience is at the heart of this parable. And here's the context for the parable. The word of God says, then came Peter to him, that is Jesus Christ. Peter comes to Jesus Christ. I'm going to make one editorial comment and then we'll read after this. Peter comes to the Lord and said to him, Lord, how oft shall, uh, shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Till seven times, Jesus saith unto him, I say, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until 70 times seven. And of course, you know, seven is the number of completeness, perfection, the word of God. And Jesus blows up that number, which means that just don't quit forgiving. That's what he's saying. It's just impossible for you not to be willing. You have to forgive and forgive and forgive. And of course, you know, you hear 490 times in a day forgiving and all like that. And, you know, I feel like there's a parallel passage over in Luke chapter 21. I feel like that, that the apostles uh, give a very reasonable response whenever Jesus says, listen, you're just to forgive 490 times. They, over there, their, their immediate response was, uh, then Lord, increase our faith. We're going to need help for this. So I'll tell you up front at the beginning, you're going to need help for this tonight. It is impossible. Patience is not naturally occurring. Patience is a supernatural Christian grace that is born in our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit when we're quickened and born again. Now the word patience shows up in other places in the Word of God. In uh, 1 Corinthians 13, it shows up over there uh, in verse 4 whenever Paul says, charity suffereth long. It's the same word that we find, we're going to find over here in this parable for the word patience used over here. Uh, charity suffereth long. Um, over in Galatians chapter 5, in verse 22, in the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, patience. That lets us know it's not naturally occurring. Patience is the fruit of the Spirit. So what we want to see tonight, how do, we, how do we replicate the love of God? And that's our goal. That should be our goal every time. That's the beauty of the church. How do we replicate the love of God that has been, this, the grace of God that has been passed through the corruption of our souls? And, and that creates incredible beauty. How do we manifest that? How do we visit that back so that folks see this as a place of beauty? us as a work of God's beauty in this world. It's by replicating those good things that God has worked in us when we're born again. And one of those things is patience. Patience is a beautiful thing on people. It is. When people suffer long with each other. But it's tough. <laughs> it is difficult. And so Jesus said he's going to help them here with a story. He's the master teacher. Jesus said, therefore, is the kingdom of heaven. Because you have to be paid. You have to forgive. So you have to forgive. Key to forgive. You cannot forgive, as we're going to see here, unless you're patient. The servant that deserves to be destroyed asked twice his Lord, be patient with me. Be patient with me. You can't forgive. You can't have compassion unless you're patient. Impatient people are not forgiving people. They're not compassionate people. 
And so Jesus said, here's the key. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is likened unto a certain king, which would take account of his servants. Kings provide accountability. So he's checking his ledgers. He's checking the ledger seat. He's looking at the credits. He's looking at the debits. He's seeing with the balance sheet. And so, uh, and when he began to reckon, uh, he's looking at his budget. Uh, one was brought unto him, one of his servants, which owed him 10,000 talents. Before as much as that servant had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold and his wife and his children and all that he had and payment to be made. The servant therefore fell down and worshiped him saying, Lord, have patience with me. The key to forgiveness. Lord, have patience with me. I will pay thee all. Suffer long with me. Give me time. Forbear with me. I'll make things right. You're going to see what an impossible statement that is and just meant the Lord willing. Then the Lord of the servant was moved with compassion and loosed him. He's moved with compassion. He pitied him. That's what the word compassion means. He pitied him, loosed him, and forgave him the debt. But the same servant went out, found one of his fellow servants, which owed him 100 pence. Sounds like a lot. It's not. About 100 pennies. And he laid hands on him. The servant that was just forgiven 10,000 talents and another fellow is about 100 pennies and he lays, he chokes him. He grabs him by the throat saying, pay me that thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet just as he had done previously and besought him saying, have patience, forgive me, have patience with me and I will pay thee all. And he would not, <laughs> but he went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. So then when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry for the man been thrown into jail. And they came and told their Lord all that was done. Then his Lord, the one that had forgiven the 10,000 talents, he calls that servant back in, said to him, Oh, thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all the debt because thou desirest me. Shouldest thou not have also had compassion or pity on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors. If you can't be patient, <laughs> bad things are waiting on you. Delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due him. So likewise shall my heavenly father do also unto you. If you from your hearts forgive not every one his brother their trespasses. If you can't be patient, if you can't forgive, so likewise will my heavenly father do to you. The interpretive key to Matthew 18, the key to understanding Matthew 18, I think, is understanding the magnitude of this debt. And it's really hard to get, it's really, really hard to get your arms around this. Whenever you understand the magnitude of this debt, first of all, you'll see that this is not... Because of the size of the debt that's owed here, this, we're not talking about a household servant here. This is not a cook. It's not a maid that owes 10,000 talents. So we'll get, so how much is owed? A cook couldn't owe this much. Uh, a maid couldn't owe this much. 10,000 talents. So how much is 10,000 talents? One talent uh, would have, now, and let me say, whenever you start trying to interpret money from 2,000 years ago in today, it gets very unwieldy. You know, it's like, how much is 150 francs worth in southern France in 1850? How do you do that? That's very difficult. 
so 10,000 talents two years ago. So let's do it this way, okay? I was visiting with a young man. I love this stuff. I was visiting with a young man. Uh, I'm his mentor uh, in a scholarship that he's in line for. He's in the 10th grade. His name Levi Combs. I wish I, this week, it, Levi Combs told me this. I wish I could all. Math is not, I'm going to do the best I can. This is math, and I'm just apologizing in advance. I'm not good with math. Levi Combs is not either. He told, I said, Levi, how are you doing? As his mentor in the scholarship program, I check in with him on his grade. I said, Levi, how are you doing? He said, uh, and he doesn't talk with his mouth open. Levi talked like this. He said, Mr. Crawford, I'm not doing good in math. I said, well, what's wrong, Levi? This week, he said, you can't make this up. I, I said, Levi, what's wrong? Why are you doing good in math? He said, I'm going to tell you, they added the alphabet into those numbers this week, and I'm in trouble. <laughs> he said, what are they doing putting the alphabet in the numbers? So... <laughs> So Levi and I don't do well with math. We don't do it. But I, I did do this much for you. One talent is one year's wages. One talent e equals one. And there are 10,000 of them. So it's like 10,000 years worth of wages. So the average per let's just say the average person makes, I think it's more than that, but the average person makes $30,000 a year. That's fair enough? $30,000 a year times 10,000. If Levi and I have done the math correctly, it's 300 billion dollars 300 billion dollars now you get a sense of the magnitude that's why i say a cook doesn't have this kind of debt a maid doesn't have this kind of debt so what kind of person in a kingdom in a king's kingdom what kind of person in an emperor's empire would have this kind of debt because let me say this for an emperor or a king to lose 300 billion dollars that's empire shattering that creates instability in kingdoms now uh five years ago in the united states of america we just said it would have destabilized our nation but what's 300 billion dollars among friends today right <laughs> tree in here a tree in there <laughs> 300 i don't care who you're 300 billion dollars is a lot of money <laughs> It's a bunch, and in those, it would destabilize the Roman Empire because it's the king's money. Now, things were a little different economically back then. This was literally the king's money. When the Roman emperor would put out money, he would put his superscription. His image was on the money. The money belonged to the king, not to the empire. That's a little different way of looking at it, isn't it? This money belongs to the king. Kings did their own coinage and they would send it. Well, why would they why would they send it out then? They're investing in their own kingdom. So kings would send out their money and infrastructure and they would build up. They build up the kingdom. They build up cities and they build up infrastructure and it would create additional taxes. And they get a great return on their investments unless you have a servant that comes along and loses three hundred billion dollars. And so what do you do with a servant like that? 2,000 a year, you take his head off. <laughs> That's what you do. I mean, I love you. I like it. It's not personal. It's business. But you're dead in the morning. It's over. I mean, that's the way it went. I know things are a lot different today. It'd be cruel and unusual. But it was natural and normal 2,000 years ago. His head's coming off. And so the king, uh, the king would just, I mean, it it would, and I understand me, it would put his kingship in jeopardy. You understand that? He can't hire administrative staff. And being administrative staff, I'm very partial to that. That's what I do for a living. You need administrative staff. Pay your taxes. 
I'm a public servant. <laughs> uh, the army. You can't pay your army. You can't pay tax collect. You know, you got, it, it just destabilizes the whole empire. And so the king would be incensed. He would be. But what's unique about this king in this parable is that while the servant, what is very unique, what's unusual about the king in this parable is that while this servant is taking away the king's money, he's not taking away the king's composure. That's what really stands out to me. You notice that, how kind this king remains. The word patience. He said, Lord, be patient with me. You know what he's saying? The, the word patient is a, I, I love the Greek language. It's a wonderful language. The word patient means to long boil. Now, I try, I cook a lot and I love to cook. And I make my little stove back home do things that the original manufacturer never intended my stove to do. I put big pots on my little stove cooking for lots of people. And I put a big, I mean a big pot, that, I'm not over, and you put, and let me say, that pot on my stove full of water, boiling pasta, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be, it literally means long to boil. It, you, I just watch it and watch it and watch it and it blur, blur, blur. And then, you know, an hour later, a rolling boil finally, like the little engine that could, long to boil. Won't it ever get there? I'm going to be late. Please, I need the pasta in the water. Won't you boil? That's what patience means. Long to boil. So let me ask you, are you long to boil or are you short to boil? Are you long to boil? That's where we get, and, and the word temper comes in now. It does. In the original language, the word temper comes in. So that's where we get long-tempered and short-tempered from. Impatient people are short-tempered. They boil very quickly. A stimulus happens and boom, they're wide open. Zero to 60 in a second. That hinders your ability to forgive and to replicate the love of Christ in your life, that the beauty of the grace of God in you shine out, you must, by God's grace, can't do it on your own, you must, by God's grace, learn to be, by the sanctifying influence of the Spirit of God, learn to be long to boil. It's absolutely essential. It's critical. <laughs> with patience, with patience, uh, injuries don't cause meltdown. Uh, you won't melt down. That's long to boil. Not melting down. Not boiling quickly. Mercury, when I was a little boy, it's amazing. Isn't it amazing? You know that there is a God in heaven that red-blooded American boys live to be adults. That's how you know that God's alive. Red-blooded American boys live to, you know, reach maturity and adulthood. I should have died a long time ago when I was a child. The things that I did growing up that, thank God, my father never knew. <laughs> I remember the, the silver stuff in the thermometer always amazed me. It did. Always, I was a little boy sticking in that stuff, go up and down. What's in there? And I caught my mom with her back turned, and I cracked that stuff, put it on a little saucer, and that, that mercury just ran all over the plate. And, of course, I had my hands all in it, mashing it all around me. By rights, I shouldn't be here, right? Mercury poison. <laughs> little boys, it's amazing we live. 
But the, you know what I thought whenever I saw as a little boy, seven-year-old boy, whenever I did that, whenever I thought, what I thought uh, whenever I saw that mercury on the planet, I thought that that's nervous stuff. <laughs> that mercury is really nervous. That's what I thought as a little boy. It's running all over the plate. Just, the mer- you know, mercury is a, it's a metal. Mercury is a metal and at about 39 degrees Fahrenheit below zero, 39 degrees below zero, mercury is a solid. But at room temperature, mercury loses its composure. (laughs) Gets nervous, runs all over the place. Let me tell you, whenever you get hot, whenever you get ill-tempered, whenever you let the injuries, whenever you suffer the slights and the darts of other human beings, and you lose your composure, just like mercury, run all over the plate, you're not replicating the grace of God. You're not. Listen, it's not about, well, are we all suffering? We're all going to suffer. We're going to suffer. The question is not whether we're going to suffer or no in this life. Let me say this, friends. If you hadn't figured it out, this world is broken. It is broken. And it's so broken till it's not going to be fixed. Jesus Christ is going to do away with it and carry us to a brand new one. Isn't that wonderful? But until we get there, we're going to live in a broken world and you are going to experience suffering in this world. It's not a question of are you or are you not going to. It's whether you're going to suffer long. How are you going to suffer? How are you going to choose to suffer? Whenever things don't go your way, the waitress doesn't get it right. Come get this stuff. You go ahead and send your food back. I know what they're doing back there. (laughs) Not me. Suffer long in the restaurant. Be long to boil. It'll be in your best interest. Suffering requires no effort. Suffering long requires a great deal of effort. You can't do it, but the grace of God can do it in you. You can. can. How do you know? Because... I'm a recovering, short-tempered person. Crawfords, we have a double dose of it running right down the middle of our spine. Bearing with our suffering and patience is a choice. So what happens if I don't? So I don't. What happens if I don't? Let me tell you, this is what happens. You think, well, I can... I can throw a brick and hide my hand. I can be short-tempered and folks won't know. Maybe my family will know, but the folks at church won't. I can hide it from the pastor. Brother Ron won't know. Let me tell you, if you do not suffer long, if you don't learn to absorb, and we're going to talk about that very quickly, absorb the loss, be patient and learn to forgive. If you don't, here's what's going to happen. Here's what's going to happen. Um, well, let's read it. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15. You just stay where you're at. I'm not going to be there long. Listen to what Paul says. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God. Listen to this. This is what happens when we don't suffer long, when we're not patient. He said, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. So Paul says it's possible for conditions to get right in the heart and the life of a child of God that a root of bitterness springs up in them, and it defiles them. Ruins your testimony. 
So what does that mean? At home, I have three beautiful live oaks in my front yard. I love them. I'm so thankful for them. I'm so great. They shield me from the western sun. And around each one of those beautiful live oaks, we have massive azalea islands. Big azaleas. They are so large, they have their own ecosystem in each one of them. I don't know everything that's going on in them. I don't need to know this. But they're massive. They're big. And once a year, I just did the test. Once a year, I go to each one of those Azalea Islands, and I, pour, I pull thorns and briars and wait-a-minute vines out of it. Do you all know what wait-a-minute vines are? Do you all have those here? If one of them ever grabs you while you're running through the woods, you'll understand what wait-a-minute means. I'm telling you. <laughs> So we have those, and, and you pull out the thorns and the briars, and, and listen, I've pulled out off of the same little stumps, the same thorns, the same briars, the same plant, year after year after year. I know they're there, they know I'm coming back, and I do it every year, every year. So why are you pulling from the same stump? Why is it the same? Why do you go back to the same plant every year? I get the tops, but I leave the root, and that's the problem. I'll start pulling a bright and get one just right every once in a while. I start pulling it up and the root has run from one Azalea Island 30 feet over to the other. It's mind boggling. They do their best work underground. It's subterranean. That's how they make it. Now, let me tell you. When here's the problem. When you don't suffer long, when you're not kind, when you're not patient, then Bitterness starts working at you. And you think, well, I, I've got a problem with this person. This person, I'm going to love everybody. Listen, I've tried this before. Trust me, I've tried this before. When I was a young man, I tried this. Somebody who grievously, grievously injured and hurt me. And it was, and you know, I've hurt many people myself. And I'm very sorry about that. I am. And it, and it breaks my heart till this day. It grieves me and wounds me. But in this case, I was really hurt. <laughs> I was really, really hurt, badly. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I would get up and I'd preach on Sunday morning. You know, a new commandment I've given to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you love one another. You know, and by this shall all men know that you're my disciples, that you love one another. And I'd get up and preach, love, 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 love. And I would love everybody in my life except this one person. I had great bitterness toward this one person. And I would go home, this is my late teens, and I would go home and I would think about how I didn't like them. I would enjoy thinking about how I didn't like them. So if you'll think of my heart as, uh, as like a house that has a lot of rooms in it, I had love in every one of the rooms of my heart for everybody that was in my life except that one person in that one room, I had bitterness for them. And I deluded myself. I deluded myself. I thought that I could keep the bitterness in that one room for that one person. And little did I know that bitterness is a root and it works subterraneously and it goes underground and you don't realize that it's growing and it's spreading and it's growing and it's spreading. And it will ultimately just permeate and take over and invade every other room so that if you harbor and you house bitterness in your life, it's going to impact everybody around you, not just that one person. You can't hem up bitterness. Just like the roots of those thorns, briars, and wait a minute, vines that are in my yard. They run in incredible places. And so they make you an ugly person, a cynical person, and people don't want to be around you, and you become mean and nasty and short-tempered and ill-tempered, and people don't like you, and you wonder why they don't like you, and what's wrong with everybody else? You've got a root of bitterness inside of you. 
So we hide it, we minimize it, it's down there growing, it twists us, it's like a, and usually what moves along, we, we run a low grade, you know, spiritual temperature of self-pity. Self-pity drives bitterness along, doesn't it? We get to feeling sorry for ourselves. They deserve my bitterness and they've been wrong and I ought to and boom, we've got the right. And I've had people, I've literally had people tell me this. I talked to them about their unforgiving spirit and it's beginning to impact the church. And so I visited with them about it. And I said, listen, you need to forgive them for Jesus' sake. You need to forgive. They said, listen, I can forgive them. I can forgive them, Brother David, whenever I've seen them suffer like they've made my family suffer. I can forgive them. You felt that before. Yeah, it wouldn't hurt me to see them lose their job. It wouldn't hurt me to see them lose their health. It wouldn't bother me to see them lose that relationship. It wouldn't hurt me to see them suffer a little. They deserve to suffer. They should suffer. It will change you. <laughs> It will change you, I'm telling you. Yeah, I was, I was frying some uh, potatoes, just, uh, just harvested a few potatoes by the grace of God. If I harvest anything I plant, it has to be by God's grace. And I just harvested some, and I was so excited, and I was making a big supper, and I was frying the potatoes, and I got the grease far too hot. Far too, it was like screaming, 425 degrees. And I needed to get the potatoes in, so I was trying to think, how do I cool off the grease? And I stuck a metal spatula in there, and it worked. The heat from the grease, the heat from the grease went into the spatula. Well, let me say this. That's what happens to you. Whenever you hold on to bitterness and you're impatient and you're unkind, the heat from those experiences come into you. And they will stay with you and they will remain with you. It will change you. So... So how does this king, how is it that the king is patient? Now this is very straightforward, just a few minutes here. How is it this king is patient? Seeing how the king's patient will teach us how to become patient. How is it that this king is patient? He absorbs the loss. You, you notice uh, the servant said, if, you will, if, you'll just, if you'll just be patient with me, I'll pay you everything back. I'll give you... He's not, the king knows, you're not paying $300 billion back. Now, evidently, this servant was probably the governor of a large, healthy province, and he'd mishandled funds. We don't know, but, we, but he thinks he's, he's in a position with the king and inside of the empire that, that I, can, uh, I, I can get the taxes back. I can get it back somehow. And the king, the word of God says, he, he forgives him. The way the king forgives is he absorbs the loss. That's it. I'm going to have to cut to the chase very quickly. I'm going to leave out a lot. I'm going to get to the bottom line right now. Listen to me very carefully. The way the king forgives is he absorbs the loss. Let me tell you. Listen, please listen to me very carefully. The peace of your home, the peace of your heart and soul, the peace of a church can depend on everybody believing that this is gospel truth. The king absorbs the $300 billion debt. So when there is a problem, when you have a problem with someone, when you have a problem with someone, somebody, and, and there's an issue, 
there and wrong is done. I mean, somebody's really wronged you. I'm not talking about there's a misunderstanding. Well, Brother David, it's just a misunderstanding. No, somebody's really wronged you. Somebody has to absorb the loss. You hear me? Somebody's got to absorb the loss. Listen to me. Either, either you're going to require them to absorb the loss. You're going to, when they've suffered, when they've groveled, when they, like a worm on a hot plate, have twisted and turned, and they have paid down the debt by suffering, then, then I'll be okay. But the sad truth is you won't. It'll change you if you require that every time. It will change you. You become bitter and cynical. Or, or you're going to absorb the loss. They've done you wrong. You're going to put it under the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. You're going to absorb the loss. One of two things is going to happen. And you have to decide, so how can I do that? The Word of God says that the king had compassion on him. But listen to me. The king had compassion on him. The word compassion means pity. In the, the word compassion in the emotional life of the Lord Jesus Christ, that word is used of the Lord Jesus Christ in the Gospels more than anyone else in the New Testament. He had compassion on them. He had compassion on them. He had pity on them. He had pity on them. It's used, that, you, that word is used more about the emotional life of the Lord Jesus Christ than any other word. And it's used of him more than all the other people in the New Testament put together. The word pity and compassion, that's Jesus' word. That's his word. That's what he does. He has pity and compassion. So how do I do that? How do I replicate that pity and compassion? By seeing Jesus and what he did. It is the last thing that I have to say. In the parable, in the parable, God is the king and we are the servant, right? You can see that very quickly. God's the king. He's the king of heaven and of earth. It's his kingdom. We're the servant. We've mishandled things. We're in debt to him and he has compassion on us. But that's in the parable. In salvation, in salvation, God the king becomes the servant. You see, somebody has to pay down the loss, right? If there is to be forgiveness, somebody has to pay down the loss. And the reason, listen to me, Vera, here's the crux of it. And here's why you must do it. If there is to be forgiveness, if you're going to heaven, somebody had to pay down your debt. Somebody had to pay the loss. There was loss, right? God's, God's offended. His righteous law is offended. And there's loss and somebody's got to pay it. And instead of God demanding you paying the loss, the king becomes the servant. I don't think I've ever heard Ronald Lawrence end without quoting. <laughs> and you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. How that for your sakes, he that was rich became poor, that we through his poverty might be made rich. That's how you do it. That's how you forgive. You remember that when you were completely bankrupt and you owed God, God became what you are so he could pay the debt that you owed and live the life you couldn't live, die the death you couldn't die, to carry to a place you'd never get if he didn't come. And knowing that, knowing that he did that for me, 
knowing that he paid that debt down, it makes it, it does today. Now, it, did, it wasn't always this way with me. But the older I've gotten, the more sensitive I am to my weakness, my infirmity, and my sin, and the greatness of my Savior, so that it makes it very easy for me today to forgive. Because I see how he's forgiven me. He's been patient. Has God been patient with you? Has God been patient with you? Has he overlooked you? Why can't we look over one another? Why can't we keep our composure? Why can't we be slow to boil? If you feel like God's been like that to you, you ought to be like that to others. May God bless you and keep you is my prayer for Christ's sake.